0: Welcome or welcome back to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about plant-based nutrition, mindset and inspiring stories. This week's guest is Chef AJ. Chef AJ is such a character. I first heard her speak at the San Francisco Veg Fest where I also was speaking and I was really intrigued to hear her story and I loved her candor. Chef AJ is an expert in cooking the best plant-based foods and she talks about weight loss a lot. So she has this great YouTube channel and Facebook page where she has a video every Wednesday, Weight Loss Wednesdays. She talks about what foods to eat if you are trying to lose weight in a healthy way, not starving yourself, not, not depriving yourself, but how to live a lifestyle where you can maintain your weight. And a lot of that is centered around certain types of food addiction. So we talk about food addiction and weight loss in the podcast we talk about what it's like to live a plant-based lifestyle and as chef AJ says plant exclusive lifestyle for her Chef AJ's story is really interesting because we always see people as they are today, but she wasn't always the fit-looking lady that you see whenever you look at her picture. Although she's been a vegan for most of her life, she was an unhealthy vegan, and she jokes and says that she thought that Skittles were a fruit and cakes and cookies were a food group, and she had a health scare that really awakened her to what it meant to be healthy, and we talk about that in the show as well. She's had a really interesting journey as a culinary instructor, a chef, a professional speaker. She's the author of the popular book Unprocessed, which I also own. And there's some very delicious recipes in there. And she has a new cookbook and book coming out that we talk about in the show as well. My husband, Matt, co-hosts this episode with me, and it's always great to have him involved. And in fact, he is one of the moderators on our Facebook group, The Plant Powered Tribe. So everybody's welcome to join The Plant Powered Tribe. You don't have to eat a plant-based diet. You don't have to be a vegan. All you have to do is be curious, plant curious. So we talk about different things that you can eat. We share recipes. We share stories. And I find that it's just really helpful to have a community around you whenever you're trying to change your lifestyle big thanks to you guys for listening to the show and for supporting my work. If you've listened to a few episodes, you know that you can do that on Patreon to financially support the show, or you can just share it with your friends. Everything helps. And I'm really trying to grow this podcast. That's one of my grows, one of my goals in 2018. So please help me with that, you guys. I'd really appreciate it. So let's get into it. Here is Chef AJ. Welcome Chef AJ to the show and welcome Matt. Thank you for co hosting today. My pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, you're in sunny California right now, right? It actually actually is sunny, yes.
1: <laughs> but you guys have like a lot That's of fires it. going on. Is it affecting you where you yes. live? It's not affecting, that like, I still have a standing structure that I'm living in, but a lot of friends have been relocated, evacuated. The closest fire was about four miles away, but I live in what's called the valley. So really nothing burns. It's kind of pavement, so it's, it's shrubbery. <laughs> but the first day was really bad because we couldn't go outside without a mask. The smoke just fill the air so it's crazy yeah it's like la is on fire people no (laughs) it's so hard
0: for us to imagine here because there's snow on the ground and it's frozen outside and we had crazy fires in the summertime but
1: yeah, yeah like you don't normally hear about winter fires Right. It's just it's, it is unusual. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's been about 80 lately. And it's, it wasn't just one. It's like three different locations. It's like that. one. It's kind of like, you know, they had one in Santa Rosa a few months ago where a lot of people lost their home. Even I even, you know, when our beloved Dr. McDougall was one of those people. And oh, no. It's just—it's just crazy to think that that happens, and it does, you know. Yeah. Unless you live on a cruise ship, I guess we're okay. Yeah. For
0: well, then we, yeah. then been, you got other problems.
1: I haven't been invited to live
2: on a cruise ship yet, so. Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, ha- no, have I've, you actually lived on a cruise ship with, with being a chef? I haven't lived, but I've done many cruises working as a chef. And and even those eight days, you kind of I I'm a land person. I'm a land lover, actually. So I don't the people that work there, though, Oh my God, like their contracts are like nine months to imagine just that is quite a different life.
0: We're actually really interested in the vegan cruises because we've gone on some cruises before and the food is awful. And I've actually thought about bringing my own rice cooker and like trying to make my own food on cruise ships because it's so
1: bad. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there are a couple of vegan cruises now, the Holistic Holiday at Sea that's been going on for many years, Sandy Pukel, and there's one other whose name escapes me. And the food is definitely much better because they bring in, you know, the the plant-based chefs to do it. And I agree. I I wanted to bring my pressure cooker on the cruise ship. They said I couldn't because it would draw too much power and (laughs) it would confiscate it. So I didn't do that. But but I still brought a lot of my own food with me on the cruise just because I eat a more uh, particular, what I feel is a health-promoting version of the plant-based. Diet without sugar, oil, salt, or flour. So I, I just get used to bringing in my food just about everywhere, you know, even on a cruise ship
0: yeah so that's like something we talk about on the show a lot is eating a whole foods plant-based diet is a lot of planning but i want to hear or we want to hear your story and you weren't always eating
1: no oil no salt no sugar diet so oh God, yeah like let's eat with oil sugar and salt for 43 years and <laughs> flour and caffeine no i really wasn't and that's why you know when people say oh don't you miss it no you know it's because I, I mean i spent the first 43 years of my life basically eating junk food first 17 is just a regular person you know whatever you eat what you're. Family eats basically. I mean, we were Jewish, so we were, that meant we kept kosher, which means there were a lot of things I didn't eat that regular people eat, like I never had a cheeseburger or bacon, pepperoni pizza, or certain, I never had shellfish, lobster, clams, you know. So there's a lot of the animals that I never ate, so which is kind of good because if you don't eat something, you never develop a taste for them. So, you know, I, it's not like I had to give up shrimp or, you know, lobster because I never had it or even bacon, you know. So that was pretty easy, but I ate a lot of processed food because you know, you you watch Saturday morning television and, you know, you get cuckoo for cocoa puffs and (laughs) Lucky Charms are magically delicious. And when you're a kid, you want all the prizes. And so we ate a lot of, you know, my mom did cook healthy meals, but there was a lot of processed food as well. And now we now know that you can actually be addicted, not to food and eating, but to refined carbohydrates like sugar, flour, and alcohol. So when I was 17, I attended the University of Pennsylvania. I was a freshman because I was trying to be a veterinarian. And I always say, instead, I became, a vegetarian because the very (laughs) first day on the job we were assigned to work for a veterinarian because I was on scholarship and the very first day of college practically he hands me a tank of live salamanders and he says here and I'm like you don't want me to feed them he goes no I need you to cut their heads off and I'm like why yeah I know and I'm a person that was always squeamish you know I I'm I'm still like if I'm getting blood taken I've got to look the other way I never went fishing or obviously not hunting for sure but all that stuff kind of just you know it kind of grossed me out and i said why do you need me to cut their heads off and he said well i'm doing protein lens regeneration experiments in the amphibians so i just need their eyes and i knew if i had done that it would be next thing would be frogs and who knows you know but i did cut one head off one salamander and i regret it to this day and it was just the most horrible experience cuz they don't really scream but they don't like it i can tell you that right now and i <laughs> actually i actually vomited it was so bad and then i went to the student health center and i just said you know i can't do this and I said I was relegated to work in the, the part where you just wash the lab equipment for the rest of the semester. And I did make a promise to God that day. I said, I'll never, ever harm another creature of yours again. And, you know, that's why it's like when people say they love animals, it's, you know, if you love animals, you know, that usually means dogs and cats, maybe horses, you know. and you know. But if you love animals called pets, then how can you eat animals called dinner? because that really sunk in with me when, when I heard that phrase from actually my veterinarian at the time who was a vegan. And it makes so much sense because as much as we love our dogs and, you know, I have a dog sitting on my lap in other countries, she would be an appetizer. So, you know, it just, it makes no sense to me that people say, well, you know, I love animals and, and they eat them because then you don't love animals. You love certain animals, you know,
0: Cool. So you decided, okay, I'm going to be vegan, but I'm going to be a processed food vegan. I'm going to eat all this. I'm definitely going all in for all this
1: stuff. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I didn't realize then that I was a food addict back then. And I didn't actually even know the word vegan back then. I knew the word vegetarian. And and so wiggly all I did was remove animal products from my diet. I didn't put anything good in like fruits, vegetables, whole whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. And so I basically ate sugar, flour, Oil. I mean, I ate basically. I ate dessert till I was 43 years old. I really ate nothing that resembled food. I ate the occasional stalk of broccoli because I liked it for some reason. But I had Coke Slurpees for breakfast, Dr Pepper big gulps for lunch, regular, not diet, and I would eat a lot of candies, cakes, cookies, pies, and ice cream. My five food groups. They were vegan, <laughs> but they weren't healthy. And so, of course, I ended up almost 200 pounds by the time I, you know, I was in my 20s. But that's not what got my attention because there's a lot of people don't like this word, but I love it. John McDougall uses it. You know, people, there's a lot of fat vegans out there. I was one of them. For 26 years, I was the quintessential fat vegan. And it wasn't until I had a health scare when I was 43 years old, January 1st, 2003, when I woke up bleeding that I realized I had to do something about this if I wanted to be healthy because I had what was called edematous polyps in my sigmoid colon. These were pre They call them precancerous because if they don't remove them, they always turn into cancer 100% of the time. And I had been vegan for 26 years, so it wasn't like I was eating processed meats or any kind of meat, which actually we know now can lead to colon cancer. So it had to be not just the crap that I was eating, But you can't just not eat fruits and vegetables. And, you know, my my husband would joke that I'm the only vegetarian that that doesn't eat fruits and vegetables. And it was true. He said, (laughs) you know, you think Skittles are a fruit. That was the closest I got. (laughs) Beans in a bag of Skittles. And so, really, I, you know, I mean, looking back now, I think it's absolutely crazy. And I mean, it's not like somebody allowed me to do this. I wasn't a child. But, you know, when you're an addict, you don't really think of your behavior as that bizarre. I mean, now looking back, I realized that who only buys a house? If it's walking distance to a Seven Eleven, because they can't drive without their Coke Slurpee, you know, I mean, looking back now, everything I did was crazy. But when you're an addict and your brain is messed up from drugs, because I do believe that sugar and flour, at least for those of us that are sensitive, are more like drugs than food. I mean, I mean, it is crazy. And, I, you know, I was thinking I remember when, when we bought our first townhouse we had an open house. And before that, I used to be an apartment manager. And every year, the guy that installed the carpets would give a very pretty dish to us that could be used as a candy dish, like a very, very pretty dish. So the seven years that I was apartment manager, I had seven of these pretty like dishes, all different kinds. And I remember that they were always filled with candy, you know, the candy I ate, whatever I liked. And I remember i I just thought about this the other day. So my veteran, my personal veterinarian came to the open house and he's this slender, healthy guy. And he looked around, and he goes, boy, I've never seen anybody have that much candy. And I kind of took offense, but then I thought, oh, gosh, <laughs> you know, this is all I eat. Of course I'm going to have it, you know? So yeah, things have changed a lot because all the things I used to eat, I don't eat. And all the things I didn't use to eat, that's all I eat now. But, and I look better, feel better. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no kidding. And But you were trained as a, uh, classically trained as a pastry chef as well, so.
1: Well, yeah, you know, well, of course, you know. <laughs> <You're just enough. laughs> like that, you know, That is the perfect, this is the thing, is is that that is the perfect job for a refined food addict. So yeah, in culinary school, I, it just it wasn't so much specifically trained as pastries, but that was my passion because when all you do is eat dessert, why would you want to become a chef that makes people food when that's not what you eat? So yeah, that, it is hilarious to me that a food addict would be a pastry chef. It's sort of like, you know, you'd having a fox guard the hen hound house, You know? house. <laughs> it was crazy. But that's what I did for five years as I was a pastry chef. And, and I, I did try to make them healthier, like they were vegan, which was always, in my opinion, healthier because they were missing the animal products. And I tried not to use refined sugar. I learned how to use dates instead, which is still infinitely healthier. And instead of oil, I had replacements like applesauce and tofu, and I didn't use salt. So they were healthier. But for somebody who's overweight and addicted to food, not the best job to keep you uh, healthy and slender but uh it was fun while it lasted
0: (laughs) yeah so what was the you said that you woke up bleeding but the impetus to to say okay i need to eat a healthier diet like a lot of people know that they need to eat a healthier diet but they don't know where to go or what to do so how did you know where to go from there
1: Well, it's so funny. I didn't know where to go and I didn't know what to do because when the doctor said that I had these polyps and he couldn't remove them during the sigmoidoscopy because my colon was in such a state of disarray and that I would have to come back and take medication and surgery, I didn't know what to do because I had had an experience when I was 19. It was like a very minor one day surgical procedure that was supposed to go home. And I was allergic to the anesthetic and I woke up being resuscitated and I was allergic to the anesthetic. And since then I've had like. PTSD or just an unnatural fear of anesthesia. So I said, I'm, there's no way I'm having surgery. So wanted, what I wanted to do was buy some time. And I remember because I had this magazine called, it was like about all the spas in the United States. And, and these were like the cheapest spas. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, I just need to go somewhere like Hawaii, which I couldn't afford in the time. I just need to go somewhere for a week and think, you know, what am I going to do? And so as I was flipping through this magazine at the time, this would have been 2003, the very beginning of the year, it said that there was this place in San Diego that was 870 five dollars for eight days. And I'm like, I can afford that, you know, because I teach at places now that are like five hundred a day. And this was like the whole week. And it was called the Optimum Health Institute. I didn't know what it was because if I knew I might not have gone with all the weird stuff. <laughs> like, like you give yourself enemas and you eat seed cheese and you don't eat food for three days. I didn't know what it was, but it was close. I could take the train. It was affordable. And I said to myself, I just need to clear my mind. And so it was really just fortunate that I did that because what I learned there. And by the way, like now we have a place called True North Health Center, which if you when you say people don't know where to go, if, if they don't have a disease, they don't necessarily have to go anywhere if they just want to learn things they can learn things online through your broadcast through doing 21 day kickstart But i mean there's now PBS Dr. Gregor and Dr. Furman so people don't necessarily have to leave their residents anymore, but if they are suffering from a disease that is lifestyle related, which most things are, type 2 diabetes, especially heart disease, autoimmune disease, there are places like True North Health Center where I work part-time in Santa Rosa where people can go or even just get a free consult with Dr. Goldhammer to see if, if it would be right for them. So I went to this place, Optimum Health Institute, and yeah, I didn't know what it was, and now I do. And it's, it's, it was a fabulous place because it's really a, a kind of a healing center, a detox center. And I met so many people there from all over the world. And the lectures every day were by often by nurses or doctors. And it was the first time that anyone said that what we eat has a profound effect on how we look, feel and what diseases we get and what diseases we can reverse. And it's a three-week program, but I did it in stages. I did a week at a time and they also have a location in Austin that I went to. And every Friday they would bring in graduates of the program that would give testimonials of how this way of eating and living changed their lives. And there were people there with AIDS, lupus, brain cancer, Lyme's disease, really like serious diseases that we think of as incurable that said that they were cured. And I'm like, wow, this is really inspiring. And I said, what I have is not even cancer yet. This should be pretty easy to take care of because these people are so much sicker you know, I'll just do what they said. And I did do what they said, which, you know, optimum health was a raw food diet. and, And I don't know if it was necessarily the rawness that cured me, as opposed to just the fact that I was taking out all the toxins that I was eating, the caffeine, the sugar, the flour, the oil, the salt. I think if I had done, you know, like the true north diet, I might've had just the same recovery. But the thing is, we're supposed to eat plants and in their whole food form. And I was eating plants, sugar and flour, but in their most highly refined form where they become more drug-like than food-like where they're stripped of their fiber and their minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants and their water and their fiber. And so once I started putting in all that stuff, you know, healing, healing took place. So I think everybody knows they need to eat better and should eat better, but it's so easy to not do that the way the world is set up now with, you know, I mean, there's an intersection. It's so funny. I live pretty close to Pasadena and there's this one intersection that literally it's a McDonald's, a Wendy's, a Carl's Jr., and a KFC. That's like on the four corners. And it's like everywhere you go is processed food and animal products, which Americans eat something like 92% of their calories from. You know, there's, you know, you go to these, we met at the Veg Fest, and with all due respect to all Veg Fests, this is why they often don't have me. It's very difficult to find vegetables at the Veg Fest yeah. because all vendors are this hyper palatable, delicious processed vegan food. And I can never find anything to eat at those places. So we need to put the veg back into vegetarian. And regardless of what people are eating, whether it's a diet based on animal products or processed food, my mission really with writing my book on process is to try to get people to just eat more fruits and vegetables. That is really so important, whatever dietary style that you decide to adopt. And people eat something, I believe, less than 10% of their calories in this country from fruits and vegetables, something like 3% from vegetables. And guess what? There are people like me that eat no vegetables.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. I think one of the interesting things about just the terminologies behind vegetarian, vegan, mm-hmm. and, and a whole foods plant-based is vegetarian and vegan, those terms are used to describe a diet, but they're used to describe the things that are excluded from the diet. And mm-hmm. a whole foods plant-based diet is it actually describes what's in the diet.
1: I actually prefer the word plant-exclusive because I've been vegan for over 40 years now. And the problem with for me with plant-based is that means it's based in plants, But what is on the top of the pyramid could be animals and things that I don't think people should eat very much of. So I like to say I'm on a whole food plant exclusive diet because it's not just based in plants, it's exclusively plants. So, but, I, like but I, I get what you're saying, because also there's an ideology, because generally when pe- I mean, I still say I'm vegan because I am, because ethically I am vegan. I don't wear leather. I don't wear fur. I don't wear silk. I don't wear wool. I do my best not to buy any products that were tested on animals. Sometimes I'm not as still, I don't always have my abscess. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I do my best because I think it's also an ideology being vegan and, and, and you know, people like some of the doctors, whole food, plant based, they don't identify with vegan. I'm both actually. So.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that was really interesting about hearing mm-hmm. you speak at the veg fest. And it was funny that actually to interrupt myself. You mentioned there's no good food to eat there and there's good food. There's just not healthy. Well, There's food, no that's food not- there. It's not real food. Yeah, so yeah, Matt no, and I, not- I was, I was also speaking there and it was my first time and Matt's first time at a veg fest. And we're like, yes, this is our homeland. These are our people. There's going to be like all these awesome like vendors with good food. And we uh-huh. walk in and it's like, Chocolate, like fake milk and weird, Chocolate. like fried stuff. And we're like, where's all the food here? And we had to go to Whole Foods and make a salad just to find something <laughs> oh, to eat there. That's so funny. That's what we did
1: too. <laughs> that's exa- you know, I'm so conflicted because my husband gets mad at me sometimes, like, well, you shouldn't be bashing vegan processed food. Well, I mean, I would much rather have people eat vegan processed food than animal based processed food. But knowing what I know and experiencing the diseases that I had, which were pre cancer and obesity, I'm not sure this food serves people as good as whole foods could. And and again, there are people that are slender or don't have a disease, that, like my husband, that could eat a little bit of the vegan junk food and be fine. But then there's people like me that were or are obese or overweight that struggle with food addiction where these foods just draw us in. And just because they're vegan, they're not any less Enticing and hyper palatable than their non vegan counterparts because they're still full of sugar, fat, and salt. And again, they're not fruits and vegetables, you know. And and if people could use them as a transition or as a condiment, that might be fine. But I got to tell you, I meet a lot of vegans that eat 100% of their calories from fake foods and still don't eat fruits and vegetables. So,
0: yeah, it's like a powerful thing about hearing you speak because we identified as, yeah, we eat a whole foods plant based diet. Like we don't eat the processed foods. But then we heard you speak and we're like, Oh wait a second! Actually, I think we are still eating processed foods because we're like, oh, we eat like sprouted bread, and we eat like we use whole wheat flour, and like all we eat
1: pasta, but yeah, it's brown rice pasta, and and then we realize, okay, you know, that's minimally processed. You know, I guess what I'm saying is, I feel if you could make it in the kitchen yourself, you know, it's refined, but it's not necessarily processed the way that like. You know, processed food is. There's a difference because if we take chickpeas and put them in the blender to make hummus, technically we're processing it, but I think that's perfectly healthy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like oil, for example, I don't know anyone that knows how to make oil in their kitchen. <laughs> I don't know anyone that knows how to make oil anywhere, coconut oil, olive oil. So, to me, that's really processed. It's not found in nature. But if somebody takes some raw almonds and throws them in their Vitamix to make almond butter, yeah, it's processed, but I don't think of it the same way I do as if they buy, you know, a uh, Skippy peanut butter with hydrogenated oil and sugar. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like good, better, best. And I have nothing against some of the, the breads and pastas for people like yourself that are athletic, that are possibly not food addicted. But again, remember it can displace calories from foods that could be healthier. So, you know, if you're eating brown rice pasta, well, then you're not eating brown rice, right? Exactly. You know, and also if you understand caloric density, I like to get the most bang for my buck. So if I'm eating these processed foods, I have to eat less of them because they're at a much higher caloric density. Whereas if I eat them in their whole food form, I get to eat way more food. And that's fun for me to be able to eat more and way less, so to speak.
0: Yeah. So that, that was like a really helpful thing whenever you had mentioned that, because we cut way back on eating brown rice pastas and more just like the actual whole grain itself. Yeah. And instead of like, you know, a lot of these cookbooks are, are nice vegan cookbooks, but they still require you to put it on pasta. So instead we put it on whole grains and we always That's take the oil great. out of the food because something I didn't realize, like Matt is the one who suggested that I might try uh, like a vegan diet. And we are both highly addicted to oil. And I am far more addicted to sugar than Matt. And I haven't taken all that stuff out 100%. But I know I should because I know how addicted I am. Like if I eat a cookie, even if it's one I made at home, it's plant-based. It's like I use peanut butter. I didn't add any extra oil. I'm still obsessed. Like It's like these like things are going off behind my head. And I just like get all frantic on the inside. And I just want to keep eating it. I know. That doesn't
1: happen with okra, does it? (laughs) No, it doesn't happen with... It does not happen (laughs) with...
2: My arugula
1: yeah, no, fix. I have the same brain as you. You know, I, I do these webinars, these cooking webinars, and I created this new muffin called the Cram Muffin, Carrot Raisin Apple Mill. It's like a baby carrot cake, but there's no sugar or flour or oil or salt. There's not even dates. And I made them yesterday because we had company. And my friend and partner, John Pierre, who you might want to interview, very fascinating guy. He's a fitness guy as well. And uh he goes, Well, you don't eat any of these. And I'm like, Okay, and then you know, well, of course I ate one. And and it was harder actually to eat one than it was to eat. Eat none. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. once you eat one, you know, I still know how many they're in the back room and I still know how many are left. And it's like you say, even <laughs> if I eat it, it's like they're banging on my brain knowing that. And I'm like, why are they finally going to get out of the house? Because they're still there and I still want them.
2: Can you maybe talk a little bit more specifically about food addiction and and what it is and and how real it is for people? Because I think yeah, it, it's, people it's toss real, that term around I'll and don't tell really know. You
1: something. It's definitely real for the people that suffer from it. It's not real to some professionals yet, or for people that don't suffer from it, because I think they don't understand it. I think until it actually becomes in the it gets into what's called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, where doctors can actually diagnose people, and then it's it, they have this little code. Some of the health professionals don't believe in it, but there are people, even some of the vegan doctors, that actually do believe in it. So it's a it's a very bad name for a disease. Well, anytime you use the word addict, a lot of people don't like it because they, I think it conjures up you know an addict like a heroin addict in a dark alley shooting up. So people don't like that word. I think so that I think if they could rename it, you know, like cravings disorder, sense carbohydrate sensitivity, that would make a lot of people feel better. Personally, the word addict does not bother me once I found out there was such a thing as food addiction, I was relieved because I just thought there was something wrong with me that I couldn't moderate my use of these addictive substances and I was able to get treatment. But it's not even so much that the word addiction is bad, but the calling it food addiction is bad because then it implies you're addicted to food, which is impossible. You can't be addicted to food and eating. You would die if you didn't eat, but you can be addicted to certain foods. And these foods in general, for most people are the refined foods carbohydrates not found in nature, sugar, flour, and alcohol. Sugar and flour are made from plants but they go through the same refining processes, drugs and alcohol. For And for those that are sensitive to this, it becomes more drug-like than food-like. We literally, once we have it, we can't stop eating it. And so we beat ourselves up. We try to use willpower, weigh and measure our food. When the problem it's not us, I mean, the problem is the food. Because if we do that with whole plants, we don't, you know, if, if you made extra broccoli, I promise you, you're not going to be sitting around all night saying, oh my God, there's still some broccoli left. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) What I'm going to do, and so I don't have the exact numbers. You know, I've heard one out of seven. I heard thirty-seven percent. But the thing is, it's so difficult about this disease. First of all, there's a lot of shame surrounding it for people. They don't want to admit it. They don't like the word. The other thing is, is it's not like, you know, for instance, in things like high blood pressure, you could be diagnosed with high blood pressure if your blood pressure is a certain number or above. And all doctors agree that, at, you know, whatever that number is, something like 80, 120 over 80 is normal. So anything that's not that could be diagnosed as that. Or if, if you're diabetic, your A1C is supposed to be this. If it's this, you're diabetic or pre-diabetic. So with food addiction, it's not like we have a blood test or an x-ray where we can say, oh, my God, you've got it. It exists on a continuum. And so some people are way more vulnerable and some people are less vulnerable. There are people that that if sugar is, say, the fifth ingredient on a label like a ketchup, they will be fine. And there's people that are so sensitive that a little bit of glycerin in a toothpaste will set them off on a binge. And so that's why it's so difficult to treat because first of all, we have different levels of vulnerability, but our vulnerability also changes depending on what's going on in our life. So for example, if we're like really, really stressed, we're probably going to have more cravings and dabble more in this addictive eating than if we're on a 10 day silent meditation, so to speak, you know? So that's the other thing is, is that people greatly vary. And, um, It's gonna be more widely known. I've got a new book coming out hopefully next month about food addiction. Don't actually So the the
0: Secrets of Ultimate Weight Loss for those of you not watching the YouTube. Oh, I can't wait for this book.
1: Thanks. I'll be happy to send you a copy. So when I found out that I was a food addict, I felt empowered because now it explained forty-three years of you know, binging, hiding food, because, you know, I didn't, like you said, I didn't binge on broccoli. It was always candies, cakes, cookies, pies, and ice cream, you know, and again, it has to do with, you know, this is genetic, by the way. It's like, you know, people don't be, if somebody is born asthmatic or diabetic, they don't generally beat themselves up like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I regulate my insulin? Why can't I regulate my breathing? You know, why can't I regulate my thyroid? But when it comes to this, they feel it's, um, that it has to do with uh, willpower, self-control. It doesn't. It has to do with, there's different genes. There's one called, the, I think it's the DRD2 and different people, some people are born with low, it's dopamine, it has to do with these, these genes and some people are born with low D2 receptivity and it's just the way we were born. It's just the way our brain was wired and that we are just way more sensitive. If, if you think of it more kind of in terms of an allergy, that actually could help. It's like, if you were allergic to peanuts, you wouldn't beat yourself up because you couldn't have a peanut. You could die if you ate the peanut. But with this, it's just a—it's like a hypersensitivity to the refined carbohydrates of sugar, flour, and alcohol. And by the way, to me, they're all the same drug. Sugar, flour, and alcohol, if you're a food addict, it's all the same. Because I think of alcohol as liquid sugar, or sugar as powdered alcohol. I think of bread as solid beer, beer as liquid bread. It's basically all the same drug. And so if you feel you suffer from this, you'd want to avoid all of the refined carbohydrates. But not to avoid carbohydrates like potatoes, rice, and beans, in their whole food form, these are very healthy. These will help restore and heal your brain chemistry. It's just that something happens for some of us in the refining that, you know, it raises the glycemic index. It it just causes opiates to be released quicker. And again, there are people that can have sugar, flour, you know, alcohol and not, let's, let's put it this way. There's people that can have alcohol occasionally or often and not be alcoholics. But if you're an alcoholic, it's probably not you. And there's people that can have sugar and flour in varying degrees and not be overweight or suffer with a perpetual cravings. But if you're somebody that's overweight or like you, you're clearly not overweight, but you said, you know, once you make that cookie, you start thinking about the cookie, you might have some sensitivity to this. You know, I always tell people do the mint Milano test. You see, my husband is like the opposite of a food addict. You know, he could, first of all, he's the only person, well, no, there's two people. Doug Lyle does this too. Dr. Doug Lyle. My husband will be eating and like, he'll literally leave like two bites on his plate, like small bites. And I'm like, aren't you going to finish? No, I'm full. I mean, it's like that concept would, I mean, it drives me crazy, but he actually, Dr. Doug Lyle does that too. He's not a food addict. He could have, you know, it doesn't donuts or a gallon of ice cream and a year later, it's still going to be there. So I tell people, well, I have a quiz in my book that I developed about whether or not you might be a food addict. But one of the tests I can let people do is to get, I use the mint Milano. They're probably not vegan, but when I was little, I wasn't vegan. But I go, get your favorite treat, whether it's mint Milanos or whatever, you know, vegan Oreos, get a bag of your favorite treats in the whole world and take it home and open the bag and eat one and put it on the shelf. And if it's there in six months, you probably don't have this problem. But if it's gone in six minutes, or if you can not stop thinking about it, it, then you you might be sensitive to these things. And the problem is, I believe that food addiction is like a lung cancer in that the tobacco, yes, there are people that get lung cancer that didn't smoke, but they're very rare. The tobacco industry basically created this disease in smokers. And the processed food industry created food addiction because throughout most of human history, there was no processed food. There's none of it in nature. And what happens is, if again, most Americans eat between sixty-seven and seventy-two percent of their calories from processed food—things in a bag, a box, a bottle, and a can—that aren't even food. And so, I believe that they're one day going to be held responsible, maybe with a class-action lawsuit, because they basically gave us this disease. It's not food, and I'd love to get this message across to the masses, and especially to vegans at these veg fests that these are delicious, they're affordable, they're socially acceptable, but. It- it's not food. And anytime you eat it, you're displacing what could have been healthy calories from something that actually is food. And so how to get people to see these processed food as not food, I'm not sure I wrote a book called Unprocessed to try to do that, but it really isn't food. Food comes from a plant. It's not manufactured in a plant. And you know, Jack LaLanne might've been a food addict because I know he had a problem with sugar. He writes about this in his autobiography, but he knew almost a hundred years ago that there was a problem with processed food when he said, if God made it, eat it, if man made it, don't eat it. And that's sort of my test. You know, where did it come from nature or a plant, you know, I you know, mean, a manufacturing plant or a plant in nature. It's hard because it is addictive. Even people that aren't overweight love these foods that are high in sugar, fat, and salt because they fool our brain's satiety mechanisms. They artificially stimulate the production of dopamine. And of course, we like them. They make us feel good. They're designed to do that. And the processed food industry knew that, which is why when they became an empire, which was roughly after World War II when the country became more affluent and women were going back to work and things like Betty Crocker, brownies, and Swanson's TV dinner started appearing on the shelves. They actually, and if you read the book, The End of Overeating by Dr. David Kessler, you'll learn this. They took the best doctors and brain scientists behind closed doors to figure out the exact combination of sugar, fat, and salt, which is what I call the evil trinity, to addict the average person's brain chemistry to their product. There was a famous commercial for potato chips on, years ago that said Lay's potato chips bet you can't eat just one because you can't (laughs) yep most people can if you can you're not a food addict but if you end up eating the whole bag and then a second bag you probably are and again it's not your fault and I know people don't like the word addict but it's not your fault we cannot resist sugar fat and salt when they are layer and loaded in a combination to create a bliss point in our brain to create a hyper palatable product it's almost impossible to not be fat and sick anymore unless like you're some kind of super athlete like you you can compensate but for the most people more than three-fourths of Americans are overweight, and half of those are obese now. And, you know, I actually just recently heard Dr. Joel Furman talk saying that even the weight charts are skewed, that supposedly, like, you're not considered overweight until your BMI is over 25. He says that's not true. It's really 23. And if we really use these accurate weight charts, even more people would be considered overweight or obese. It's, it's an epidemic. So, how long
2: would it take to get over an addiction, or to yeah. not be as affected by that? Right. And, so, and once so, you do that, is it permanent? Or
1: yeah, so here's the thing: if an alcoholic gets out of rehab, is are they permanently not an alcoholic, or are they only not an alcoholic if they continue to choose not to drink? So, um, the guy I work for, brilliant Dr. Alan Goldhammer, the founder, co-founder of the True North Health Center, says that to overcome the diseases of obesity or food addiction. He says, you're more likely to cure yourself of stage four cancer. That's how hard it is. So I don't know if it can be overcome or cured, but it can be managed. And how do you manage any addiction on a daily basis, a day at a time, a meal at a time, a bite at a time. And unfortunately, too many people think of this it is true that I would say the majority of people that suffer from food addiction are overweight. There probably are a few out there that just, for whatever reason, just didn't learn that it's not good to eat at McDonald's every day. But most people that are overweight suffer from some degree of food addiction. There are also people that are slender that suffer from it, but through either exercise or other anorexic or bulimic activities, have learned to moderate it. But it's it's you're only cured as long as you continue to not eat these foods. And that's where people just, the concept of abstinence just boggles people's mind. They resist it, they fight it, when in reality, it's the one thing that is gonna help you recover. I, I say abstinence is bliss because I actually, I have a quote that I just made up and I'll try to remember it, but it was something to the effect of, unless and until you embrace the concept of abstinence, your eating will always be unmanageable because people don't like the idea of giving something up, especially forever. So I tell them it's not forever, you know, just for 50 years or just, just for today, (laughs) because the truth is, is if you, you know, was it Einstein that said, you can't use the same mind that created a problem to solve the problem. Maybe it wasn't Einstein, but there was a saying like that. You can't use the same foods in any amount that made you fat and stick if you want to stay slender and well. And and even if somebody wasn't food in let's say somebody was just overweight and they went on a diet and they lost weight because most people do know how to lose weight. And Most people that wanted to or needed to lose weight have lost weight in their lives. But 98% of those people have gained it back within two years because whatever they did to lose the weight, they don't continue to do to maintain the weight. And I always say that if you want to maintain, you have to abstain meaning whatever that is that made you overweight, you've got to continue to abstain from that. So what happens is people get down to a weight and then they start going back to the things that they were eating before. Well, that's not going to work. You have to continue to do what you did to lose weight, to maintain your slender weight. And if if you are addicted to something, you have to continue to abstain from it or the disease will come back with actually, I think it'll come back even worse because after you've abstained for a while, for a while, from these addictive substances, and then your brain starts to calm down they give you more of a wallop because what happens is people are so addicted to these things like sugar and flour and oil and processed food and animal products that they're using and overusing them, not even to feel good anymore, but to to just not feel bad. So they've habituated. And so when they've come clean, if you will, and their brain chemistry stabilizes and they start to feel good, well, now when they reintroduce them, they get a hit of dopamine that's so high, like the first time they use it, they're sucked right back in. That's what, you know, in AA, they say that there's a saying, one drink, one drunk. You know, you can do the same thing with cookies and cakes and candies, you know, it sucks you right back in. But I think sometimes even deeper, because sometimes when people recover and then go back to these substances, they relapse and and then it just takes a long time for them to get back out. So I think that uh, it's a lot easier to stay abstinent than it is to continue to have to play this game of having to relapse and recover and then detoxify. And oh my God, it's it's just it's horrible. It is it really is. It, it, if people would see it as a disease, they might understand it better. It, it's hard when you don't suffer from it. You know, it took years for my thin, a non-food addicted husband to understand the gravity of this disease because it's chronic and it's progressive. So in other words. If you overcome other diseases, that disease doesn't continue to progress while you're well. But with food addiction, it continues to progress even while you're abstinent. And so when you decide to relapse on purpose or accidentally, it just it really does knock you down. I thank God I've only had one relapse in six years, and I don't want to ever do that again. I'll tell you, it felt horrible after all the work you know you do to recover but that's what happens you know recovery recovery doesn't look like this if you're listening it's like a straight like line to the top it looks kind of more like a roller coaster you know
0: yeah it was also really helpful whenever you say like this is not food so after i heard you speak there'd be things that because i am addicted to food and i know i am and it's helpful to talk about it it's helpful to know you're not alone and like matt is far more addicted to the oil salt combo and i'm far more addicted like i can have like five chips and then leave it but yeah. he cannot he has to eat the whole bag and like <laughs> with not our
2: how big it is and it like for Costco me size.
0: like he could have one cookie but i can't or like in our breakfast we put maple syrup in our oatmeal. And he can leave like a few bites of the oatmeal and I'll go eat those bites that he didn't finish. And it's probably because I'm addicted to the maple syrup
1: in there. I want the sweet. Right. And then you've got the oatmeal, which is sort of like flour. Absolutely. Well, you know, you could still have sweet, but from fruit, the whole fruit and nothing but the whole fruit. You could put a banana in there or some blueberries instead of the maple syrup. Or you could use dates in place of the maple syrup before you go down to just the straight fruit. You know, when so he's the salt fat and you're the sugar fat. Yeah, It's it's,
0: it's really crazy when you're able to break it down and to really realize these things. And like a lot of the people listening are, we're all, we're mostly cyclists and a lot of cyclists are totally neurotic about their weight. And at the top Mm -hmm. level, most, I I don't want to, I don't want to generalize, but I would actually think that most of these professional cyclists, myself included, have an unhealthy mental relationship with food or have had, or currently have an eating disorder. Yeah. And the joke with cyclists is like, we're jealous when somebody else is sick, like because they get to lose weight because oh in, in cycling, like if you're if you're the thinner, you are people think that you're faster and also
1: you go uphill faster if you weigh less that's incredible. It sounds like you're suffering from cyclorexia.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like, yeah. Like it really exists. It's, it's at it, the top level, the pro palaton yeah. and the men's and like yeah. men will brag, like my friend, he was bragging about how he didn't eat dinner and how he went to bed because he's losing weight. And that's an eating disorder. Wow. When you skip a meal to lose weight, that's an eating disorder. So, wow. I would actually really love for you to talk about healthy weight loss and having a healthy relationship with food because well, I know that you have a lot of experience with that.
1: I actually wrote a book on healthy yes. weight loss, the Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss. And the truth is, is your cycling friend that is skipping dinner doesn't need to skip dinner. He just needs to understand calorie density because I can eat 10 pounds of food. Oh, that's a lot of food a day. When most people eat three to five, because I understand calorie density. And, you know, if the friend that skipped dinner, like for instance, my breakfast was a smoothie that had over two pounds of vegetables in it. It was less calories than one tablespoon of oil. So you mean to tell me if your friend that wanted to lose weight had that for dinner, he'd gain weight? I doubt it, right? So the idea is is with calorie density. Calorie density literally means calories per pound of food. And food ranges in caloric de- in, in value from about 100 calories a pound, which is vegetables, to about 4,000 calories a pound, which is oil. And so again, it comes down to eating plants, either exclusively or primarily, and not eating processed food because all the whole plant foods found in nature, with the exception of a few of the high fat plant foods that only appeared seasonally for our ancestors, like avocado nuts and seeds, these foods are of a very low caloric density. So we have vegetables, which are actually about 67 calories per pound to about 125 raw, about 200 when cooked. We have fruit that's about 200 calories a pound. We have potatoes that are about 375, potatoes, sweet potatoes, winter squashes. We have all whole grains at about 500, and lentils, legumes, beans, split peas at 550 to 600 calories per pound. The research shows that if you eat these foods exclusively, which is what I do without the addition of sugar, oil, salt, flour, alcohol, you know, you can eat ad libitum, which means as much as you want As often as you want, whenever you want, until comfortably full, and almost everyone will get down to a very lean ideal weight. There are people that are such bad food addicts and emotional eaters that they might be a little bit heavier, but you can't be overweight or gain weight eating to what I call to the left of the red line. Because on my calorie density chart, I, I draw this vertical red line to show people if you just eat to the left that you will have to be lean. So if they understand caloric density, you know, but, but the thing is, is people want to eat these hyper palatable foods. They want to be able to have a beer. They want to be able to have a cupcake. They want to be able to have some cheese, which is your choice. But if you eat to the right of the red line, which is what Americans eat 92% of their calories from, you can do it and be lean, but then you're going to have to weigh and measure your food and portion control and weigh and measure yourself because they're they're just too high caloric. They're too high fat. So it's really just, it's it's a different way of eating. It, it makes sense to a lot of the People in the plant-based world because they've read books like Dr. Dean Ornish's "Eat More, Weigh Less" or Dr. McDougall's The McDougall Program for Maximum Weight Loss. I mean, it's definitely not for everybody because if you want to continue to eat sugar, oil, salt, flour, drink alcohol, and have animal products, you probably aren't going to like this way of eating. But the food that we eat is not only so delicious, but you get to eat so much, and you don't have to portion control. I mean, you know, I'm 117 pounds now. I used to be 180. I'm five foot six. I'm not a cyclist, but I spin about three days a week ninety minutes a time and um I mean I haven't my weight hasn't moved in like four years and and it's funny because my weight's staying the same but my clothes is keep getting bigger but if you go to my weekly show called weight loss Wednesday on YouTube episode 36 where I literally show you what I eat in a day it'll blow your mind but again you know eating four pounds of vegetables well it's 67 calories per pound for the vegetables that I'm choosing like zucchini and tomatoes and cucumbers that's uh it's like less than 300 calories. It's nothing. I mean, it really isn't, you know, but when you think about how much oil people are using and how much cheese and animal products, and I mean, you know, if you really understand calorie density, you can really get excited about this way of eating because you get to eat so much food. If you like to eat food, if you don't, then just keep doing what you're doing. But again, these foods are so addictive; they'll keep calling you in, and that's the problem too. Is that, is that your your brain never, you know, you don't get any rest when there's cupcake in the house. I'll tell you that right now. Because <laughs> <we don't know. laughs> Actually, they're carrot cake muffins, and they're the kind I can eat. But just having them in the house, it's like, oh my god, I can't stop thinking about it. You know.
2: So your first cookbook is unprocessed or unprocessed. unprocessed.
1: Canadians say, Canadian say process. Americans process. say process. Okay. I like that. It sounds very good. And there are. Some <laughs> Richer, unprocessed book is not to the left of the red line. Half of the recipes are. I didn't understand calorie density then, or I actually, it's not that I didn't understand it, I hadn't learned it yet. And so, there are recipes, especially for people that there are some athletes that need to eat a lot more calories, maybe not cyclists, but you know, and so there are nuts and seeds and things like that. So, they're richer foods, but still SOS free, sugar free, oil free, salt free. You know, it's interesting because. Sugar, oil, and salt, you know, these aren't really foods. They don't exist in nature, certainly not in any concentrated form. I don't really know anybody that can make these in their kitchen for the most part. And where food addiction is, it's it's interesting because the same dietary style that can help people not be overweight is, is that same one that helps people not have food addiction. Because the thing about sugar is when you eat sugar, you generally want to eat more sugar. And when you have high fat foods like oil, same thing. Because what happens is foods of of a higher caloric density produce more of this neurotransmitter dopamine, this pleasurable feeling in your brain, than the whole natural foods to the left of the red line. So when you eat sugar and when you eat oil, you get more dopamine so you want to keep eating these foods you don't get that from whole natural foods so what happens is it actually fools the brain satiety mechanisms and it has it causes you to just eat more and more and you can test this yourself i mean salt's another example salt has no calories but it still can perpetuate overeating especially for people that are sensitive or food addicted because when you salt your food you just eat more food and people say well it doesn't taste good without it well that's if you're trying to lose weight that's probably a good thing actually because in 30 days going without salt the food will taste salty. It will taste good, but you can do this yourself with a food like popcorn, air pop popcorn, or brown rice. See how much you eat when you don't put salt versus how much when you do put salt. It just it can be what's called a trigger food. It makes you eat more. And when you read books like The End of Overeating by David Kessler or another brilliant book by investigative journalist, Pulitzer Prize winning author Michael Moss. It's called Salt, Sugar, and Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. And these aren't weight loss books, by the way, but both of these authors understood that sugar is addictive in all its forms, salt is addictive in all its forms, and fat is addictive in all its forms. And when you put them together in what we know as processed, or in Canada, processed food, <laughs> a product that most people can't stop eating. And it's sad because so, there are children, and I know some of them, That they were raised, I mean, I was not raised, I ate processed food, but I wasn't raised on it intentionally. But now that's what kids are eating for every meal. They start their breakfast with either a Pop Tart or a Lego My Ego and a Red Bull, right? And then lunch is some kind of frozen cheese pizza or something like that. And then, I mean, and they're literally eating all of their calories from something that is food like, but it is not food. And if people could really understand it's not food, you know, a graduate student did something on the Huffington Post, you could find it. It's actually called From Mouth to Anus, crazy (laughs) title. But they had participants swallow cameras and they could watch digestion from the throat to the stomach to, you know, to the small intestine and, and things like that. And when they gave the individuals whole natural food, everything happened as it normally should with digestion. But when they gave them processed food, it was almost as if the body didn't recognize it as food and didn't know what to do with it. And the food just kind of sat there and it didn't like decompensate or what. it's quite interesting but you know processed food isn't food It's socially acceptable, easily affordable, readily available. In the United States, you can't go anywhere without processed food. You go to the pet store and there's M&Ms sold at the register. You go to a hardware store, there's candy at the register. You go to a hospital and in the parking lot, there's vending machines with ice cream. So you can't really go anywhere in the United States without being bombarded with processed food everywhere, with people making it cheap and tasty. And actually, you know, know, we have a store called Costco. I love Costco, but man, every, every aisle you go down, they're trying to give you some of this stuff. It's, and it's just like a crack dealer, you know, Hey, first free, first one free.
0: Yeah. I, I can totally relate. I've actually stopped taking all free samples at Costco because yeah, yeah it just, it, and then you start buying stuff that you normally wouldn't buy. So I like Costco because there's a lot of organic produce you can yeah. buy, like the like bell pepper, finding organic
1: bell pepper, like six of them for seven bucks. I like that. I love Costco for the produce. Yeah. You just right. have to walk down. You know what? I've, I've got the secret. So if you walk, at least in my store, if you walk down the far right aisle yes. where they have like the pet beds and the motor oil <laughs> and things like that, you can bypass all the drug pushers and then just kind of turn into the produce aisle. And then, and then you got to leave that way too. It's, it is crazy that we have to walk down separate aisles just to avoid these, uh, these temptations.
2: Yeah, so one of the things that, that we really enjoyed about your original cookbook, Unprocessed, I had to really think about that, was just having, and we've got tons of cookbooks that are from all over, and there, a lot of them are wonderful, but your ingredients are, are very simple, and the flavors yes. are amazing, so you get this really... A lot of the simple cookbooks we've tried, uh, the flavors are very simple as well. So we're, when you were putting together your new cookbook, how did you sort of build on that? Because, of course, the health part of it is very, very important, one of the right. reasons you're building it. But from the actual tastiness yeah. and flavorful of the recipes, how did you address that? that?
1: That is a great question. So one of the things I've always prided myself on is I don't want to make food that's just good for me for somebody that eats this extreme diet. So I've always tested my food on regular people. And by regular people, I mean people that are not only not SOS free, but people that aren't even vegan. So most of the recipes that I'm process were tested on my students at the Braille Institute. And, and blind people are wonderful in that they can't do poker faces. Like for instance, like <laughs> if it didn't taste good, they don't know how to like make their face like, Oh oh yeah, this is good. So, so I could get really honest. Like there was this one recipe that I loved that was made of tempeh and it just, you could see on their face, they were just, you know, it, it didn't fly. So the same thing with this book, it was even harder because I had less to work with because I did make a couple of calculations. Well, I did not realize at the time that to be salt free, I couldn't use things like, like I wasn't using Bragg's, but I was using a little bit of raw coconut aminos, a little bit of miso in some recipes. And I realized from Dr. Goldhammer, which is why he wouldn't sell that book, but he'll sell this one is that still wasn't salt free. It was completely oil free and sugar free though. So what I did uh, with this one is, is just, you know, I tested it on regular people. Like for example, there's a cleaning crew in my apartment building and I would say, Hey, tell me what you think, you know, honestly. And I could see, you know, if regular people would eat it, then it would be good Good for, I don't know why we call them regular people. We should be, they should be the irregular (laughs) people, (laughs) the animal products and processed food. But meaning people that don't eat this way, eat a health promoting diet. And if they If it didn't totally suck, that means, you know, it would probably make it into the book. But if they really liked it, that really for sure was going to make it into the book. Because, you know, my my bean burgers, my red lentil chili, people like my food And, and certainly the desserts. Not a lot of desserts in this book, guys. So sorry. But as a food addict, that's a really hard you know, when you don't have sugar, when you don't have flour and you don't have oil... That's what dessert is, you know. So, um, there's a couple of sweeter things in there, but but if you're looking for the richer desserts, get just get unprocessed because this is not a dessert cookbook. But there's a like there's the carrot cake muffins are pretty good. I gotta tell you. So there's there there will be a few you know tempting treats, but it's mostly concentrated on vegetables.
0: That's a cool thing. Uh, what you mentioned about quote regular people because. A lot of times people say to me, oh, I don't want to be 100% plant-based or vegan or whatever, but I do want to eat healthier. I want to start eating right. more like that. So the great thing about your cookbook and some of the other ones that we have is that people actually will go buy that cookbook and they'll eat several meals a week out of that cookbook because they like the way the food tastes. And then what, right. end, what ends up happening a lot a lot of the time, based on what people have told me, is they start eating more that way and then they don't want the other
1: stuff and then they just keep do more yeah. and more. You know, and again, you know, here's the thing if somebody's like a 25 year old normal weight athlete, I can't make a case that they have to eat like me and, you know, with no diseases and no family history of things. I, you know, I, I'm not going to win that argument. If somebody is 60 years old and has type two diabetes and is obese and about to go on dialysis, we could make a case that they need a more strict version of a plant-based diet. But I agree with you that I didn't go from being fat and sick to this diet overnight. I mean, now that I know what I know, maybe I would have done it sooner, but I didn't have my own program to follow at the time. But I think, a great way to get people to eat healthier is instead of taking it away, because this is is the thing. But if you're an addict, you may have to take it away and abstain. But if you're not, trying to crowd out some of the less healthy foods with more healthy foods. So again, even if people are eating animal products and processed food, can we get half that plate to be vegetables? You know what I'm saying? So the meat is no longer the centerpiece of the plate, but maybe it's half the plate instead of the whole plate. And can it be more vegetables? Can vegetables be at every meal? And, you know, in unprocessed, process, I have several smoothie recipes, even ones with cocoa powder and dates where you can't even taste the greens, but especially for athletes, they're on the go and they've got to fuel their workouts. This is a really great thing is to make smoothies because If they're not used to eating vegetables, they're not going to go have vegetables for breakfast like I do. But if we can put like a half a pound of spinach in a shake with some dates and cocoa powder where they don't even know the spinach is there, eventually they're going to feel really good. Their skin's going to be beautiful because, you know, people say, well, I am wearing makeup today. I'll be honest because I'm being interviewed. But most of the time I walk around and without makeup, people go, oh, what kind of, you know, makeup, what kind of skincare? I go vegetables because these are foods that are so high in antioxidants. They literally not only make you healthy from the inside out, but they make you beautiful. It's a Amazing, and so a lot of times I can get people, you know, hooked on vanity. But the thing is, if they're not used to eating vegetables, they start doing, let's say, a green smoothie in the morning. Their palate changes, and they actually start to prefer and really like the taste of vegetables. Or I give them cooking techniques. You know, nobody has to eat plain raw salad or plain steamed vegetables. I mean, it's nice if you can, because then when you travel and you're stuck, you know, you don't you know, it's, I'm not saying that's something to strive for, but like the recipes I give them, like the balsamic Dijon glazed Brussels sprouts, even people that don't like Brussels sprouts love this recipe. So if we can make the healthy food taste delicious, on, and on processed page 100, the disappearing lasagna, a very popular recipe, if we can kind of crowd out the animal products and processed foods, so it takes a less significant portion of the plate, eventually it might not be on the plate at all. You know, not everybody's going to go vegan, but the idea is, Eat as many fruits and vegetables as you can for health, for longevity, for beauty, for whatever reason. And think of the animal products and processed food as treats and condiments instead of the centerpiece of your plate. The way that like people in healthy countries like China or in the China study, I don't know about them eating processed food, but there are very healthy populations in the Blue zone that eat animal products. But as a condiment, you know, like a couple ounces here and there in a, in a big soup or stew, not bacon and eggs for breakfast, cheeseburger for lunch, you know, pound of steak for dinner. I don't think anybody could argue that we're eating too many animals and we're eating too much processed food. We got to get back to eating fruits and vegetables by any greens necessary.
0: <laughs> yeah. And to wrap it up, I, I just want to make, a, and I've mentioned this a lot in the the show, but you can be an athlete, you can be exercising 20 hours a week and you can still gain weight. Mm -hmm. And you can be eating a plant-based like because I'm speaking from personal experience. Like if I and Matt is the same. If we are riding our bikes 20 hours a week and we're eating plant-based diet, but we're still having some of the processed foods or excess sugar, oils, things like that, alcohol. You will gain weight. And I don't know, it might have even been you who said this, but you can't outrun your mouth. You just absolutely no. cannot. Yeah. So, I, I actually
1: took that from Dr. Furman. You can't outrun your mouth. You can't out exercise a bad diet. You cannot. And you know, concerns me is some of your cyclorexics is that, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say I'm addicted to exercise, but I do it because it not because I'm trying to lose weight. I didn't exercise till I lost weight, but because it helps me with anxiety, it helps me feel good. But I've had some injuries over the past few years where it's been like five, I couldn't exercise for five weeks. Weeks. What's going to happen then? You know, mm-hmm. you know. when I had a broken rib, what am I going to do? You know, luckily, I, I didn't have to do anything because the way I eat does not promote weight gain. You know, eating in accordance with the principles of calorie density. And as you know, there's so many athletes now that are fueled on a plant-exclusive diet. You know, Rich Roll and Scott Jurek and, uh, you know, Rip Esselstyn and Robert Cheek. And these are some of the fittest People in the world, I mean, women too, I just, those are the four names that came to me, you know, the strongest man in the world, Patrick Barbubian did it on plants, you know, Yeah, absolutely. Exercise is important. But, you know, I think that nutrition is the king. Exercise is only the queen. Jacqueline said it the other way. Together, they're the keys of the kingdom. But I mean, they're both important. And I think exercise when it comes to weight loss is more important for maintenance, not losing it. But again, if you don't have the diet right, you're right. It almost doesn't matter how much you exercise because, you know, get the food right and then the exercise will just take care of itself. And then you won't have to be obsessed. You won't have to skip dinner. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's. That's uh, that's not necessary. That's but, not yeah, good. Tell, yeah, introduce me to this guy. i got to teach him calorie density. I can teach him how to eat a lot of dinner. All right. Yeah. We love that. Eat awesome. Up, well,
0: yeah. well, thanks so much. And we can't wait for your book. And also um, we'll put a link to your website because you have well, the okay. ultimate weight loss program on your site. You have tons of great resources. You have your YouTube channel. We got I did. Well, hopefully we can connect with you uh, in person someday. And I hey, maybe we lost. can get you outside on the bike. Yeah. Oh my God. I've never rode outside.
1: I'm so clumsy, but Hey, at least I'm riding inside. You no, know, you
0: can do yeah. it. If you're riding inside, you can ride outside.
1: It, you know what I love about spinning. This is so weird is I stand the whole class. I just love standing. I don't know why. Can you stand on a regular bike too? Oh yeah. yeah. Actually yeah, it's, sure. it's recommended in a lot of different cases. Oh, that sounds great. I don't know why I like standing up on the spin bike, but thank you guys. This has been a pleasure. Stop. Thanks so much. Right. Thanks guys. Okay.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: It's so interesting whenever you hear Chef AJ talk about food addiction and the different things that stop us from being successful with maintaining our weight. And like I said in the show, I can exercise for 20 hours a week and if I don't eat a clean plant-based diet, I gain weight and my weight will fluctuate. I'm definitely addicted to sugar and I'm not afraid to say it. It helps to talk about these things and it helps just to be aware of these things. Like why does our weight fluctuate? And what is it about it that makes us sabotage ourselves? And addiction to things or even just having a craving for something can really be detrimental. So keeping those things out of your house And I haven't gotten to a point where I've committed to a life of no salt, oil, or sugar, but I've definitely greatly reduced those things in my life. And I'm trying to reduce them even more. Some people are all or none. Some people aren't, but you have to find what works for you and do more of that. I highly recommend checking out Chef AJ's YouTube channel. I'll put a link to that in the show notes and also to her Facebook page. Especially if you need some motivation, you need some tough love, she is the person to do it. Check out her book. I can't wait to see the new book. It's going to be amazing. That also will be linked up in the podcast show notes. It's really neat to have a culinary chef putting out cookbooks because a lot of the times the people that write the plant-based cookbooks, they are people who love to cook, but they're not trained as chefs. And I'm not discrediting those cookbooks in any way. I love all of my cookbooks, but it's really interesting to see how a chef decides to put flavors together versus how a person who isn't trained as a chef puts flavors together. I can't believe I didn't say this in the intro, but Happy New Year, you guys, I hope that 2018 is an awesome year and that you do all the things that you're planning to do. I love the start of a new year. But I also love planning every single quarter to stay on top of my goals and my dreams. And if you haven't listened to the older podcast, the 12 week year, I highly recommend going back the entire podcast is about how to effectively set goals, and how to not fall into the trap of setting a New Year's resolution and having it fail i have some big goals for this year and i will continue filling you in on them as they come into fruition thanks again for listening to the show you guys happy new year and wishing you all the best success and your training and adventures and we'll see you back here next week